0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. We are going to launch our Galatians series this morning. And I love what Phoebe said there, is that she and her family were sitting around the table reading the Bible together. And uh, <clears throat> if you know the stasis you're like, yeah, of course they were. And... Uh, and, and that has set those kids up for such goodness and for such value because the Bible is actually meant to be read on our own but to also together. It's, it's a community book. It's a community document um, that, that helps the faith community. And so we really want to encourage you to engage with the book of Galatians on three levels, to come to Sundays because we'll be preaching out of a passage that we're going through in the five weeks in Galatians. And, uh, and then through the week we have our daily devotions. Um, where we just take a couple of verses and ask questions of that text and ask questions of ourselves and pray through it and then we also have our midweek studies now in this season obviously it's a little bit more difficult maybe you've got a connect group of 30 people so obviously you can't do that right now but let's find creative ways maybe meeting someone over a coffee and chatting together through this series and uh, and, and making sure that we get the most out of the book of Galatians the QR code on the back of people's chairs is the way that you can find access to everything that you need if you scan that um, then you'll find on the once that pops up like your little service New South Wales QR code, that you can hit Galatians and everything that you need is in there. and also if you find um, reading off that screen a little bit difficult, you can download the app which is also a link on that link tree and you'll be able to go to the blog section of our app and it's got the daily devotions all there uploaded ready to go. So this book is written to the churches in Galatia. And it's interesting because it's a book all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's a little bit weird that this book that is outlining the gospel is written to the Christians. That's a little bit strange to me. Why would Paul need to reiterate the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ to the people who have already trusted in Jesus? And and so why would we today, you might say, well, Brian, I've brought my friends, so it's great for them. But how am I going to get something out of this? Because I already know the good news. But what Paul is addressing in Galatia is how quickly we will go away from the good news about Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, these people that had moved uh, into the area of Galatia over time had um, subscribed to something called pagan syncretism, which is where their gods that they worshipped from wherever they were, they just took on the Greek gods' names for those same um, same gods in their culture. And so it was synchronising the two religions together and essentially that's what the book of Galatians is addressing people who are Christians were then synchronizing Judaism onto the top of Christianity yeah I know how do you cough in a season like this everyone talk to your neighbor <coughs> nothing it's nothing <laughs> um I don't know what to do right now to make that better not live streamed who cares um okay so um The thing is, is that they had put on top of what they had believed what they had known previously. Just like the Gauls who had come down and invaded Galatia in 300 BC that took their gods from where they were from and synchronised them onto the gods of the Roman people. In the same way, the people who had put their faith in Jesus grabbed their history and put their beliefs on top of what they now believed. And so we can't afford to do this. And just at the outset, I'd love to just acknowledge Kerry Pollard who... Gave me the thought for this message this morning. I'm going to use one of her stories. Uh, She's our Gyra pastor and she's preaching this morning as well. And she sent me a note. So I was like, Kerry, I'm stealing one of your points. So I just want to acknowledge her. So if I were to ask you this question, what makes Christianity different from any other religion? Don't yell out because it's not the 80s. But, um, But if I were to ask you that question... What would you say? Now, you might say, Bruno, I actually find it really hard to articulate anything about Christianity. I'm stumped when people ask me what I believe. So that's cool. That's all right. Just acknowledge that. But, but if, you, if you have some working out, what would you say is the difference between Christianity and any other religion? So let's read from Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ Himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May, the God, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave His life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but that is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So Paul is speaking to a group of people in Galatia who are clearly having a crack at him, who clearly he's going to have to go against in order to speak to them about this. He's going to have to choose to please God instead of pleasing man. There's going to be um, some defensiveness about Paul's message here. But he says, if there's any other message than the one I'm preaching then let that person be cursed. Different versions say, let that person be damned. In other words, that person can go to hell if they're going to preach any other gospel. So if it's important to Paul and needs to be important to us, let's pray this morning. Lord, we pray that this morning you would illuminate your word to us. God, your word is living and active. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to have the habit of meeting together, that you would help us to have the habit of studying your word together. Lord, that your word would do what only it can do and it would not return void, but it would bear fruit, Lord, in our lives that remains. It would change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's interesting that Paul would get so passionate about this. And what is the good news that he's talking about that we can't deviate from? It is the message that is there, right there, In verse 3, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Luther wrote about this phrase, grace and peace. Martin Luther, Dan referenced him this morning, and, and Dan's going to preach that message again in the four. So I invite you all to the four. It was a fantastic message that he preached in the chapel service this morning. Luther says this Grace releases sin, and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two friends that torment us are sin and conscience, because when you sin, then your conscience gets stuck into you about what you've just done. But Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trodden them underfoot, both in this world and in the world to come. This world can teach no certainty of the overcoming of sin, conscience and death. Only Christians have victory against sin, despair and everlasting death. Moreover, these two words, grace and peace, do contain in them the whole sum of Christianity. Grace contains the remission of sins, peace, a quiet and joyful conscience. But peace of conscience can never be had unless sin be first forgiven. This, this, what Luther is saying is all the more powerful because he was a man who... Relied heavily on works. When he became a monk, an Augustinian monk, he spent long hours in prayer, long hours in fasting. In fact, his—I um, think we're going to talk about it next week—but his like mentor guy in, in his tradition said to him, "Luther, you have got to stop focusing so much on your badness and start focusing on Jesus' goodness." And he was just torn up by his depravity, by the way that he felt about himself. And so the revelation of grace for him was absolutely insane. As we read down there, it says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. I just want to make a few comments on that. You see, it says that Jesus gave his life to save us, and to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. It doesn't say there that he gave his life in order to rescue us from his father. He didn't give his life in order to rescue us from God. There's a, there's a little bit of a misconception <clears throat> that God is like this masochist in some ways. That he, he, he had to pour out his wrath, in which he did. But it was like this, in order to forgive you, I've got to beat the living duly out of my son. And to which we go, that how does that make sense? Why, well, like, if I want to forgive Sue, and I say, well, I will forgive you, Sue, but only if I can beat the dually out of Bella. Is that okay with you? And, and Sue saying yes, and I'm sorry, Bella, she for some reason hates you, but you guys can sort it out. <laughs> but but, it, but it, it seems like this crazy thing. We forget that this was God's plan from before the beginning of time that he would pay for our sins himself. So to, to rescue, yes, he has rescued us from the wrath of God, if, if you will, but that was God's plan all along. And then there's something in us that says that he's come to rescue us from the future evil age. Anyone else like me make a decision to follow Jesus because they didn't want to go to hell? Anyone? Yep, one, two, three. The rest of you are just saved by grace. Good on you guys. <laughs> the sole reason because it was preached you go out of here today and get hit by a bus where are you going heaven or hell I don't want to go to hell so that's why I got saved and it wasn't until much later that I received a revelation of the grace of God so it's not to save us from the present future sorry from the future evil age though that's what it does as well we get everlasting life rather than everlasting death praise God for that but that would be to downgrade the salvation that we receive if it's only for some day somewhere out there. Now, it's also for this day right now for us to actually live in the freedom that God has called us to and to bring his kingdom to the earth that we live on, that we actually get to participate in what he's doing on the earth, that you get to live in a freedom. The verse that Phoebe said that he's come to bring us life and life to the full, that that is what he's actually saving us from ourselves. He's actually saving us from our own thoughts, from our own desires, from our own way of life that where we actually go the better way, where we, he works in us a desire to go the better way and to have a better life. Grace and peace, grace and peace. This question was being debated about in a conference. What separates Christianity? What's the differential between Christianity and every other religion? And some people said, well, it's that God took on human form and, and some said, well, no, lots of religions preach that, that, that their deity took on a human form. And so someone else said, well, it's, that he res- it's the doctrine of resurrection, rising from the dead. And they said, well, no, plenty of religions have that. And the, the story goes that C.S. Lewis walked into the room and he said, what's all the debate about? And they said, well, we're trying to work out what's the differentiation between Christianity and every other religion. And he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And this idea of grace that our sins that our wrongdoing that our right standing with God is based on nothing that we do but only his free gift to us is the differentiation between us and every other religion that is around every other religion you have to do good to get good and and if you do bad you get bad But this doctrine of grace is that we have been given a free gift, that freely we receive it, nothing but the grace of God. Like I said, I didn't receive a revelation of the grace of God until I was in my 20s. And I grew up in a a wonderful, I think in lots of ways, wonderful church. Daz always calls it a borderline cult and he wants to start a Netflix series about it. But um, I I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And, and, you know, there's obviously you, you, you love what you're familiar with. It was very much um, about right behaving. It, it, that, I don't know if it was meant to be the case, but as a kid that's how I felt it to be, that you needed to behave right and you got judged not just by God but by the family of believers if you didn't do right and, and that you had to have all your ducks in a row and that's how I felt. And so I identify with the Galatians who received the grace of God but then added to it the necessity of right behavior in order to stay right with God in order to stay right with the community of faith that you had to be behaving right now is there a degree to which that is true and is it to our is it remiss of us to forget that we'll we'll get to that I'm not suggesting but don't forget that this is what Paul was accused of that he was anti-morality but he wasn't like that at all but it was when I was in my 20s and I stuffed it that is when I received a revelation of grace that is when I had nothing to stand on except Christ's righteousness. That's when I had nothing of myself to be able to go, well, if I do this, this and this, and everything should be fine and I'll put it back together. And I had nothing but the grace of God to stand on. And, and, and while I wish that I'd never gotten it wrong in my life, I'm so grateful for the grace of God and the revelation and the closeness of that relationship that came because I'd gotten it wrong. I I love his grace. Grace acknowledges the wrong. Grace isn't sweeping under the carpet and we're all great. And uh, who cares anyway, because grace will cover it. In fact, I remember Daniel Coleman with my brother when they were teenagers. I think actually primary school. And uh, this is the story that Rick tells still. (laughs) It's probably why he's not in church, Daniel. (laughs) But he said, um, he said, Mum, Dan said to me, it doesn't matter if you swear because you just ask for forgiveness. <laughs> oh, that was my youth leader. <laughs> Eventually. But, you know, if you grow up in and under grace, you can take grace for granted. But grace, a true revelation of grace says, oh, I've gotten it wrong and I don't want to get it wrong again, but God, I'm probably going to. It's not a Jesus, thank you for your grace. Hang around because uh, I'm going to need it in a minute. Just let me finish doing this and, uh, and I'll need you again for your grace. No, no, it's, it's, it's an outpouring of emotion before God and saying, God, I've gotten it wrong and I get it like King David in Psalm 51. Let's go there together. Psalm 51. This is like... Like, how would you like this recorded for everybody to see? not used to paper Bibles. Here it is. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognise my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you'll say. And your judgement against me is just... For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you, etc, etc. You know what? If you trust in Jesus and what he's done, this is how you can read this passage. You can read it like this. You've had mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, you've blotted out the stain of my sins. You've washed me clean from my guilt. You've purified me from my sin. For I recognise my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you only, I've sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say. And your judgement against me is just, but Jesus takes it for me. Your judgement against me, God, is 100% true and right. But I'll just remind you that Jesus has taken that judgement for me. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You've purified me from my sins, and I am clean. You've washed me, and I am whiter than snow. I have returned the joy of my salvation, etc., etc. That's now past tense for us who trust in Jesus Christ alone. I love grace because the woman who was caught in sin and thrown at the feet of Jesus, and everyone had picked up stones ready to stone her to death according to the law. Jesus looks at them and says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You see, grace, grace is a leveller. Grace disarms the law keeper and grace empowers the law breaker. It restores the law breaker. It puts everyone on a level playing field. The law keeper and the law breaker all get a level playing field. And that's why those of us who find it easy to be good and do good and have the behaviour of goodness find grace so hard to grapple with. What about all my best efforts, God? Aren't you seeing that? Aren't you noticing that? It's like the prodigal son, the brother. Yes, of course, son. All I have is yours. But but, but, but this one's returned and, and you're level in my sight. You're level in my eyes. It disarms the law keeper and restores the law, law breaker. Um, you guys all know um, more recently, a couple of years ago now actually, but I kind of process everything in front of you. Sorry about that. <laughs> um that had some stuff that was written about me <clears throat> that was completely false. And, uh, and I, I, for the first six weeks of realising that this had happened was um, horrendous and just had to go to God and keep saying, you're my defender, God, whatever, whatever. Um, but then I kind of forgot about it and it would only be if someone else brought it up that, um, that I'd remember it. And then <clears throat> only just on Friday, I had coffee with someone from our Armidale church. And uh, they said, oh, Bron, someone showed me what that person wrote. I thought, oh, that's right, I forgot about that. And I've got to tell you that what happened in me, I was like, oh, I didn't know that was there. Like, I actually cried, that was sad. But, uh, but what then happened was that in the car I wanted to defend myself by saying all the good things I'd done and the ways in which I hadn't done the wrong thing. All of a sudden I'm wanting to rely on my own good behaviour. All of a sudden I'm wanting to declare how righteous I am and, and so how can that person speak against me because I'm so righteous? I was relying on my good works rather than going, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I've gotten heaps of stuff wrong. Not that, but yeah, I've gotten heaps of stuff wrong so God can defend me. We, we, realise, we come under law in ways that we don't even realise. Let me tell you a couple of ways that you can work out that you're not living fully under grace like you thought you were. You can know that you've bought into work somewhere where the accuser can get a foot in the door. The Bible says that the enemy of our soul um, goes before the throne day and night accusing the brethren. So if you're a Christian uh, this morning, then that's something that's happening that the enemy is accusing you before the throne of God and accusing you as well, probably in a voice that sounds very much like your own. Now, if you're not a Christian, you haven't decided for Jesus yet, you've got that to look forward to when you make that decision. But actually, just accuse, accuse, accuse. We know we've bought into work somewhere where that accusation can get a foot in the door and we start to go, really? Yeah, oh, is that true? Is that true of me? You see, when we're living under grace... The accuser hasn't got a foot anywhere because, yeah, of course. Oh, you, you want to talk about me? I'll join in if you like. There's heaps of areas that I've gotten it wrong in. I'll tell you about it. He can't get a foot in the door because we're the first to admit that we've got nothing without Jesus. We're the first to say, oh, no, I'm actually, yep, 100% true. That's why I've got Jesus. We're, we're able to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony because we trust in Jesus and not because we're able to defend ourselves. Here's another um, way that we can know that we've bought into work somewhere, that our judgement goes to the place of I would never, ooh, I would never, I would never do that. As we look at people around us, maybe Christians, we go, ooh, I'd never do that. John Bradford um, was a preacher in the 1550s who coined the phrase that's widely accepted, but for the grace of God, there go I. And the story is, is that he was watching a bunch of convicts Um, about to go to their death. And he said, but for the grace of God, there go I. Now He didn't have a very long opportunity to proliferate that teaching because he was burnt at the stake for Jesus. Um, We've also got that to look forward to maybe if you follow Jesus. Uh, Just trying to bring all the good news this morning. Um, But I honestly think about what holds us up from gathering you know, sometimes we're like, Oh, I don't want to go to church and wear a mask and oh, I don't want to go to church and not seeing what happens when the pressure's really applied? <laughs> what happens when when it, we're told that we're not allowed? Or, you know, what happens if, if our government becomes whatever? Like let's get in the practice and stay in the practice of meeting together under whatever conditions we need to, so that we aren't so quick to give up the habit of meeting together. Uh, this is like um this is just practice. Um, many of you remember Claire. <laughs> I remember <her. laughs> guest speaker, Alpha, la- um, like next gen lady. What was her name? Claire Madden. Claire Madden. Um, she was telling us that they used to do rapture practice in Sunday school. <laughs> like, I don't know what that looks like. Stop, drop, and roll. I don't know. No, I won't take the market beast. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, they used to do that in, in Sunday school. So you know, let's not give up the habit of meeting together. Um, John Bradford, burn at the stake. He said, before he got burn at the stake, he said, I think I'll have a merry supper with the Lord tonight. (laughs) He looked at his death and went, oh yeah, come on. It's the grace of God which causes me to stand. It's nothing that you're doing to me. So the grace of God has this attitude of, but for the grace of God, there go I. Now there's a fallacy around judgment. We we know that we're not to judge. Judge not lest you yourselves be judged. And that is 100% true. But that's really mainly talking about people that aren't aren't Christians. Why would we judge them? They're not holding themselves to the same moral standard. They don't have the same worldview that we do. So why on earth, how could we possibly judge them? But we are called to judge and to love each other enough to judge each other. That if I see you getting it wrong in such a way that I would have the courage and the love enough to come and say to you, hey, this behaviour is actually causing you harm. Would, would Would you consider stopping that? That actually we're called to that. But when judgment errs to, I would never, then we know that we've bought into some kind of works mentality where we'd hold ourselves as more righteous than you. But for the grace of God, there go I. Finally, we can know we've bought into works somewhere where we feel ready to mount a defence. I can defend myself on this one. I can defend myself on this one. We've forgotten that Scripture says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's only the righteousness of Christ that makes any kind of difference. I always hesitate to mention, because boys get totally grossed out, But filthy rags, it's talking about the menstrual cloth. Like, you get grossed out for a reason. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Like, throw it away, get rid of it. <laughs> but for Jesus' grace we stand nothing in myself i bring but only to the cross i cling and so i'd just love us to just take a moment right now to examine ourselves and say where am i not living under grace can the accuser get a foot in the door can do i buy into his accusation without just dismissing it because yeah sure whatever you want to say can can we get ready and mount a defense on our own behalf or do our, does our judgment kind of err to well I would never ever do something like that let's just spend a moment and examine ourselves this morning no one's looking at you they can't see your face anyway they can't see your expression see Paul was so passionate about this because he was someone who was so saved from the works of the law and he had persecuted Christians so if it was going to depend on a ledger of good and bad he couldn't there's nothing he could do to write that ledger you you start killing the early church what what can you possibly do to get that ledger back in your favor nothing in my hand I bring but only to the cross I cling so this morning maybe you've never known that it doesn't depend on what you do and you didn't know that you just received the free grace today today's your day to receive that And you don't get left as you are because the free gift of the Holy Spirit comes at the point that you place your trust in Jesus and he begins to change you from the inside out. Lord, would you reveal to us right now where we've bought into any kind of works mentality, where we've had any kind of thought of, yeah, I've got this. Where we've thought that we let you down too far. Lord, would you just take it all away till all that's left is you? Would you bring us to that place of Paul, where we would be just not okay if we're adding anything to our faith except just faith in Jesus Christ? Thank you for what you did for us, Jesus. We love you. Less of us and more of you. Holy Spirit, show us where where we're adding for us or for other people in Jesus' name. Thank you for your message to the Galatians. Amen.